Welcome to the Therapeutic Food Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Marion Mitchell. I'm an integrative nutrition health coach, therapeutic diet expert, and founder of The Road to Living Whole. There are many different diets out there. It's hard to know which one is right for you with your chronic illness and autoimmune disease. In this podcast, I'm going to share with you the foundational pieces every single therapeutic diet out there shares, and also how to use the best one for your particular diagnosis. If you've been looking for a meal planning partner, help navigating the complicated healthcare system, and want to feel better quickly, I'm your girl. Grab your kombucha and notebook. Let's dive in. Insulin and inflammation are typically the first domino to go down in a cascade that leads to chronic disease, whether it's metabolic disorder or other autoimmune diseases. When you have elevated insulin and elevated inflammation in the body, the body just can't do function the way that it needs to function and responds accordingly. Today I have joining me for a second time is alternative pharmacist Billy Wees. He joined me first in episode 73 where we talked about breaking free of pharmaceuticals and today he is back to talk about this really important topic because if we can get inflammation and insulin under control, it makes the healing journey so much better. Billy, thank you so much for joining us again. I'm so excited that you're here. For those who haven't met you yet, can you introduce yourself again? Sure. I'm Billy Weiss, and I am a compounding pharmacist from North Carolina and own three compounding pharmacies, Prescriptions Plus, and created my own wellness program called OptiURx. So we're trying to teach people how to be their optimal selves, their optimal you, and giving them the prescription for that, which ironically does not require a prescription in 99% of the cases. So um, yeah, that's what we do. We're trying to help people get better. I formulate my own supplements, and I have a fellowship in metabolic and nutritional medicine from the University of South Florida School of Medicine. So I'm doing a lot of wellness. That's really what I do. And I, I love that, you know, you're pharmacologically trained, but that is like your, your goal is to get people off of of pharmaceuticals and just really empowered on what they can do for their health without them. Yeah, because in my experience, and we may have talked about this last time, but I think it's very pertinent to, to remember prescription drugs don't really solve problems. They just cover up symptoms and they block enzymes and they block receptors that that God designed our bodies to need and to use. And so in most cases, I don't think they're the best answer. Now, for people who are not willing to make lifestyle changes, it it may be the only answer. But um, the University of Stanford School of Medicine did a study and said that the average number of side effects for one prescription drug is 398. So if I can use a supplement like my five organic chelated salt magnesium that has 350 positive functions in the body versus something that has 398 negative functions in the body or negative effects in the body, then there's always a better chance of success if we can get people to listen. Definitely. I, and I'm just so excited to have you back and to take people further. So last time we talked about breaking free of pharmaceuticals and what you can do to empower your health. And today we want to tackle a very specific topic. We want to talk about insulin resistance and really help people understand the role that diet and lifestyle play in that and be empowered to, to know that they're not stuck there, right? 
I would love for you to walk us through, you know, what, what is, what leads to insulin resistance? You know, there's, there's multiple factors and I think people don't really understand that. So can you walk us through, you know, the multiple factors that can lead to insulin resistance? Sure. I mean, there are a lot of contributing things, as you've said, and I think probably the one that shocks people the most, and we'll come back to it maybe in more depth, but is, is insulin. It's too much insulin that actually causes the receptors to turn themselves away from the insulin signal. So one of the biggest causes that, that certainly that I have experienced in, in my 31 years or 32 years of doing this wellness is the people are already producing too much insulin and that turns the receptors down. So that's kind of, for most people, that's not something that they would think of is, hey, the very thing we're talking about being resistant to may be causing the resistance. But it's not a normal amount of insulin. It's when we have higher insulin um, that can create that. And when we continually have higher insulin, it makes it even worse. So that's a big factor is insulin itself when it's not in so when it's in more than sufficient quantities, which we can talk about well, obviously why that happens. The second biggest factor that we see is um, nutritional deficiencies. Uh, and I mentioned the five organic chelated salt magnesium that I formulated. The number one mineral deficiency is, is insulin. I, I mean, excuse me, with insulin resistance is magnesium. The number one nutrient deficiency period is magnesium. But certainly with insulin resistance, there's actually a study done that shows that 100% of the diabetics in the study were magnesium deficient. And, and there's a reason for that because magnesium is very necessary, along with other nutrients, but for that insulin and that receptor to work properly. Uh, chromium needs to be there. Zinc needs to be there. I mean, there's a lot of things that need to be there, but the magnesium is the number one what the study said, rate limiting factor to the insulin and the receptor working effectively. You know, it's so it's so funny because I don't think people really think about or even know that these minerals play a role physiologically, right? Like once you sit down right. and think about it, it makes sense. But unless you're like right. elbows deep in nutrition and nutrition science and and, you know, going further, you don't think about the role that these minerals play. And magnesium no. with ma modern farming practices, you just, you're not getting much from food anymore. No, I mean, it, not only are you not getting much from food, then the ironic thing about the way the physiology and the biology of our bodies work is the higher your insulin is, the more magnesium we spit out in the urine. So it's not a shock to somebody who really understands physiology that diabetics are magnesium deficient because they're spitting more magnesium out in your urine. Now, what happens is when we do that, it can cause an imbalance of magnesium and sodium. And so then we'll tell people, well, you can't eat sodium because it makes you swell. Well, it's really not the sodium that's making you swell. It's the lack of magnesium and the high insulin that's making people swell. So the idea that the sodium is the problem, it's just, it's really mismanagement is what it is. Let's just throw people, let's just throw a heart attack in there by removing a bunch of salt too. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a reason that the first thing anybody gets that goes into the ER typically is, is a, is a saline solution with salt. 
because sodium is critical for the body to work. And, and so we misunderstand why people with diabetes, usually with diabetes swell is because of the magnesium deficiency, which causes the imbalance in the magnesium and sodium, not, not that they're eating too much salt. It's very rare. Heart failure patients are the only people that I can think of that restricting salt has any benefit in the studies. Yeah. So we have the, the insulin problem. We have the, the nutrient problem, the vitamin and mineral problem. And then we have the problem of food choices. <laughs> uh, as we continually put in foods that can be deemed healthy, even by the American Diabetes Association, the American Heart Association, the American Medical Association, the dietitians and nutritionists, they create, can create a lot of them, massive insulin spikes, which then leads to more insulin resistance. And then we have the age-old inactivity, laziness, not walking, not moving, not exercising, not, you know, just people that are maybe working from their computer all day or, you know, just not motivated to move. Yeah, so just sedentary. You go from sitting at the desk to sitting in the car to sitting at, you know, sitting at the couch, you know, yeah. with your microwave dinner or your takeout. Mm -hmm. And then you go to bed and just rinse and repeat day after day, which is I mean, I feel like they said, I feel like I read a stat recently that the average American gets less than like 2000 steps a day. I don't, I don't have any doubt about that. Which is just crazy to yeah. me uh, to think about, but it's just modern American life. It is. And, and that leads to the next problem that I think we have leading to all the insulin resistance, lack sleep, which mm. again is part of the modern American life, right? We're busy. And I get it. I mean, I'm not being critical. I get how busy we are. Uh, I'm busy as heck. Uh, so I get it. But if in one night of less than six hours of sleep shuts down about 50% of the insulin response, the insulin receptor response. So you can imagine if we're already starting to get resistant and then we don't sleep good for just one night and we make it 50% less effective. And then, and then we do that chronically. Well, we create all kinds of issues, which again, it's why my number one recommendation uh, in my program is my five organic chelated salt magnesium because it improves the quality of sleep. It helps get you tired. Yeah. It just, it just helps people just rest. They yeah. can just lay down and go to sleep. I have people that try that, you know, they get a, a really high quality magnesium and they're like, I take it. And within 30 minutes, I can't keep my eyes open. And it's the best sleep I've had in years. And you know, the crazy thing about that is I tell people all the time, magnesium has the uncanny ability to relax us and to make us sleep. But it also the next day creates tons of energy because it's what is necessary for the body to make ATP and energy inside the cells. So it has an uncanny ability to be very relaxing while at the same time, very energizing. Mm -hmm. So it's really, um, um, I call it like the, the miracle molecule, you know, is, is the right forms of magnesium put yeah. together. That's been my experience myself personally uh, with my kids and then with my clients as well. Like you start taking magnesium, you sleep better, 
But then you like within a couple of days, you typically notice, hey, I'm less tired. I'm less snacky because I'm not as tired. And, you know, it's uh, it's pretty uncanny. But and then the fact that it can help with insulin resistance, which we'll we'll talk about later, what, what helps with that. But right. Yeah. Well, and one of the big things it's off the topic a little bit here, but I think it's important to point out people all will commonly ask me, well, how many magne- of your magnesium do you take? And my each three capsules is 100 milligrams of elemental magnesium, which is really important for people to understand the difference in elemental magnesium and the way most companies do it. But magnesium is the number one thing to protect us from all the EMFs, from all the Wi-Fi, from all the 5G. From all, I mean, it is the number one protection for our bodies. So, yeah, I use a lot of magnesium. I use a lot of, of my OptiU. Um, magnesium. So that's just kind of a side note that it's very protective against all these these EMFs that we're we're up against in our phones, our cars, our computers, our homes. Yes, our smart homes are. Uh, you know, a lot of companies are replacing your meters with smart meters. Yes. You know, the EMFs off of those are insane, which yes. also disrupt our sleep and you know cause us to have less energy and all of that. Yes. So it does all. You know, it's like when we're talking about a specific topic, but it's still there's just so much that comes into play. It's just yeah. so all encompassing. So yeah. Yeah, so it, yeah. it is the smart meters are definitely a, I think, a problem. And I think the studies are very clear that they're a problem. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very clear. Like, there's no dispute, even though they're still pushing them. But yeah. Yep. So we've talked about this. Is there anything else physiologically that can impact uh, insulin in the body? Well, when we're talking about resistance, I think we've hit the big the big things. Now, there is always the case of a of a type one diabetic where their pancreas just doesn't make enough insulin. That's a that's a whole different story than the insulin resistance issue. That's just lack of enough insulin. So that's the only caveat I would say. Type one diabetic is just not capable of making enough insulin. Whereas a type two diabetic, I can tell you hundred percent of the time, if they're truly type two, they're making too much insulin. But the treatment that we give them, and I, when I say we, I mean the medical community, the standard of care is to give them drugs that increase their insulin production and then to give them insulin shots when that fails because the entire way we treat that is backwards. It's 100% backwards. So uh, it's important to distinguish between type 1 and type 2 because type 1 would die without insulin injections. I think type two will die quicker with insulin injection. So it's, it's, it's two completely different things. And, and really the crazy part for me, because I have created my own blood panel and in my experience, doctors and, and they don't check insulin levels. They'll just say, well, you're type one diabetic. And in my experience, a lot of these so-called type one diabetics, uh, when we do their test, they're making plenty of insulin. They're making too much insulin. And I explained to them, hey, you have too much insulin already. So injecting it may not be the, the way to correct it. So I've had a bunch of, I shouldn't say a bunch, probably a dozen over the years that were diagnosed as type one, who we did a simple blood test that they never had done. And they were actually misdiagnosed. They were type two diabetics. They were making plenty of insulin. And you can show them that on a blood test and they go, oh my gosh, <laughs> I am making plenty of insulin because a true type one diabetic, their insulin levels will come back at 
one or two. Now, I've never seen it higher than like 0.2. But in these type one diabetics, we'll get numbers 40, 50, 60. Oh, the, the type two. The type know? two. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. They'll have no, these that's okay. crazy high numbers. And I'm like, you're making too much insulin. So that, that, that's a, a really important thing. I believe that the most important blood marker that anybody can have is, is an insulin test. And I would tell you that probably in 32 years, I've met maybe two or three people ever who've had it before they did my panel. It's just not typically done. Uh, and I do yeah. believe it's the most important marker that any of us can have. And well, it impacts so much. And I feel like it's almost like the first domino for other health problems. Yeah. Insulin's always like the first one. And if you don't address it and you don't fix it, it's the domino that falls over. And then it's the cascade effect of other health problems. Yeah, it creates what, what I like to call metaflammation, right? So we have these metabolic problems because our insulin's high and that creates inflammation. And, and so you, you have metabolic problem combined with inflammation, which they're kind of snowball rolling down the hill on each other, getting bigger. And it really is the crux of all the diseases we see. It's, the, it's, it's what creates the heart attacks. It's what creates the strokes. It's what creates the cancers. I mean, it's it, insulin and inflammation are contributing factors to all of those. So it's really important yeah. that we know our insulin numbers, I believe, and that we know how to control, live an insulin controlled life is what I call it. I love that you call it that. <laughs> and, you know, I, and just in my head, I'm thinking like a lot of people are probably thinking like, oh my gosh, like that sounds so overwhelming. I have to address two things at once, metabolic and inflammation. And the health coach in me is like, oh, that's so easy, <laughs> which we'll talk about. We'll talk about later. Um, but addressing insulin resistance for me as a health coach, if that's the only problem I have to deal with is elevated insulin with some inflammation, I'm like, oh, this is going to be, you're going to be feeling great in just a couple months. Yeah, like it, this is going to be so good. If I can prevent it, if I can get them before the diseased state, you know, like we talked about PCOS yeah. and insulin resistance. Like if I can get them before they get there, yeah. reversing it is, you know, getting the body to heal and reverse the symptoms is, is so simple and it's very short. Yeah. You know, once we get to the disease state, it, it requires a lot more work. And well, effort. that's the tragedy of, of the standard of care is we treat those people 100% backwards and it's really not hard to correct. And we lead them to a path of, you know, diabetics die at a 50% greater rate from all causes than non-diabetics. And that's because the high insulin causes the metaflammation and they have more heart attack, strokes, blood clots, cancers, you know, <laughs> uh, the edema, the swelling, the... You know, the swelling because of the, the magnesium and sodium imbalance. Yeah. They, the thyroid issues, like everything. The number one cause of amputations below the waist is diabetes. The number one cause of blindness in the United States is diabetes. The number one cause of kidney failure and kidney dialysis is diabetes. So, you know, we could wipe out and I would, I would, I can make the argument uh, and this one will be a little bit harder. I don't have like an exact study, but there's a lot of data to put it together. The number one cause of heart attack is diabetes, high insulin. Oh, I believe the it. Number one cause of cancer is high insulin, diabetes. So it's sugar feeds cancer. And if it's just 
if it's rich in the blood, it's the, the cells are, if they're able to multiply, yeah, they're going to multiply exponentially because they have so much food. Well, and the problem right now that I'm really running into, and I don't mean to get off the topic again, but it's, I think it's pertinent is right now I'm, I'm seeing just more cancers than I've ever seen that have popped up over the last couple of years. And you know, my first question, right? Did you take these? COVID shots and a hundred. Well, the data is coming out on that. It's, it's so like, yeah. Yeah. The, the data is coming out on that. I think in the next couple of years, yeah. we're going to see that this experimental injection yeah. um, really accelerated. If somebody had cancer, it accelerated it very, very quickly. Cause I'm, I'm seeing a lot of data coming out on that. I don't think there's any question at this point. That, that it's, yeah. and if you listen, uh, Dr. Ryan Cole, who is one of the leading um, uh, pathologists in the world, he says, there's no question. He's seeing more cancers in, in his autopsies than he's ever thought about seeing. So. Uh, yeah. So getting insulin, your insulin under control and living a, a, a lifestyle that supports that is going to be so much more important if you've had the injections, Yes. you know, if you've had the shots, um, it's, it's really important because it does seem to accelerate it. Well, I think what people don't understand about insulin is insulin is a growth hormone. So insulin creates growth and uncontrolled growth is the definition of cancer. So that's why you'll find that the majority, not all, but the majority of type two diabetics are overweight because the insulin is the signal saying, Hey, hold on to fat, put more fat on, make bigger fat cells. And so when you think of it as a growth hormone, I hope it'll change people's perspective on, it's not that insulin's bad. Insulin in the right amounts is, is I mean, it's critical. You die without yeah. it. But in high amounts, it creates excessive growth. It creates excessive fat. It creates more risk of cancer. It creates more blockage in the arteries, growth in the arteries. Uh, it, you know, it just, it creates more risk of Alzheimer's and those type issues because it creates inflammation in the brain. And I tell people insulin is the most inflammatory hormone there is when it's high. Yeah. And the wrong amounts. Oh, it's not. Yeah. Uh, but when it's high, it is. And I would say that in my experience, the vast majority, over 70% of people's insulin we check are, are when I say high now, I, it wouldn't be high by the standard medical definition but it would be high by what is optimal, which is what our program is about is optimal health. Yeah. There's always a difference between what's normal because you take the entire population, which the majority of them are sick. Correct. Right. And you find the averages. And for some reason, I feel like they keep moving the goalposts out. They keep making it wider, well, they do. you know, and yes. so what's normal and what's optimal are incredibly different. And, yes. you know, getting that, finding that information, I would say it's not easy, but it's not hard. It's really not. I mean, you know, stuff like what your coaching does, stuff like what my coaching and my program do. I mean, it's not hard and it's, it's really important because I think the most important thing is for people to be the CEO of their own health. And how can you do that if you don't know what you're yeah, doing? And, and you don't know, and you don't know what's optimal, you know, right. you know, there's a lot of information out there, but when you really tease it apart and you look at the foundations, the foundations are always the same. That's right.
Yeah, I have, I have five foundations to my program because they never change. I don't care what you come to me with. If we can fix these five foundations, everything's going to get better. Yeah, there might need to be a little tweaks, a little bit of a therapeutic thing here or there, but the foundations don't change. So That's let's, right. now that we've talked about insulin resistance, the causes, you know, what it contributes to, let's give people some hope. Yeah. You know, what, what are these foundational principles that if we do them, insulin resistance will reverse, we will lower the excessive amount of insulin in the body. And then really the body has to do a healing process because yeah. it dam there's so much damage that these, this excess of insulin does, including with your weight and everything. It takes a long time to lose weight. Yeah. Right. So like, let's talk, let's talk at this people through like, okay, it, this is serious business, Yeah. but reversing, it's not as hard as you think. And the modern approach, the mo modern allopathic approach is failing you. Yeah. So let's talk about what they can do right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say you talk about give people hope. I would tell you that a hundred percent of the type two diabetics that have come through my program, a hundred percent, they were on insulin, have come off their insulin. Type two, because the body can fix this if we give it what it needs. And so the five foundations of the OptiU program, and yours may be a little different, but this is what we do. It, it, it's what I teach is God given quality foods. So we're going to talk about eating foods that don't spike insulin, right? An insulin controlled food plan. Um, the world's best nutritional supplements. And we probably talked about this last time, but 80% of the supplements on the market contain none of the active ingredients on the label and 95 plus percent contain toxic ingredients. So that's why I formulate my own. We don't do that. Um, water from a medical device, science-based exercise. And, and I, I don't even, I hesitate to even call it exercise at this point, science-based movement. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be long, just movement. And then sleep, rest and recovery, good sleep, good quality sleep. And really, if you can fix those five things, everything will fall into place. So yeah, we, we can show people, how to correct when I say we, I mean, you and I can definitely show people how to start their body on this journey to correct the insulin resistance, but it does take time and numbers can get worse before they get better, which we, we can talk about why. And you talked about sometimes for some people, the weight comes off really fast. And for other people, it takes a long time. And I think that the reason for that is, as you lower insulin, it sends a signal to the body, hey, you can release fat. And as we do that, if we have accumulated a lot of fat around the organs, visceral fat, like non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is just rampant today. And we now know that we create a lot of fat around our pancreases also when we have high insulin. I think the body will say, hey, this is more dangerous fat than the fat on your belly we can see. Let's start to get rid of this visceral fat. So I like, I, I have an in-body machine and we will measure their muscle and their fat and their visceral fat and their hydration. So I can show somebody, hey, yeah, you haven't lost your inches, but look, your visceral fat went from a 20 to a 15. That's good, right? You know, so we can show them that progress, even though they may not feel like 
they're getting that progress because they don't see it in the belt size. I'm so glad you brought that up because I would say 90% of my clients don't lose weight right away. Like that's like the last thing that happens. And they're always so discouraged because that's the thing they want most, yeah. right? But the visceral fat and losing that first is absolutely 100% more important, yes. but it's not what you see, right? When I do see it, I'm like, hey, you know, especially if they, most of mine go to naturopathic or functional medicine practitioners and doctors. And so, you know, they're typically getting their blood tested every three months, mm. right? And we can see the markers improve. The inflammation markers oh, are yeah. going down. Yeah. The A1C is going down. The fasting glucose is going down. You know, we can see those things happening. I would say quite quickly. I would say with A1C, I typically see it go down 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5 every three months, you know? And so I've had people that are 9.1 and stuff like that. And it takes them three years to get to a healthy A1C, which sounds like, so long, but I'm like, your body can only do so much so quickly. Well, your body has to burn through a lot of stored sugars too. That yeah, all that fat is 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 stored sugar and toxins. And toxins. So the liver can only the liver can only detox so many yeah. toxins at a time. And if you think about those same people, they're very likely to already have fatty liver. So we gotta, yeah. I mean, there's a process that the body's got to go through before it can start to release all the sugar and the toxins. And I tell people, you know, your sugars may go up in the beginning. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause I feel like people get really discouraged and they feel like they're failing and what they're doing is not working. And especially if they're going to a regular doctor, the regular doctor is like, you know, just like berating them because they're not doing what they should when really they are, but and the doctor doesn't listen. They think they're lying, which I, is a complete frustration right. for me is doc doctors not believing their patients and just accusing them of, of lying. Right. Like that's the worst thing you can do. Yep. So let's talk about that because I feel like if people can really understand the process behind it, they'll be willing to do the long game. Well, here's the way I, I think the easiest way that I explain it. And when I teach my weekend, this is usually the way I explain it. So let's think of the body like we're packing to go to Europe. We're going to go to Europe for two months. And we say, hey, we're only going to take carry-on bags. We're going to take our two carry-on bags. That's it. And so we need a lot of stuff in those two carry-on bags. So we pack them full. And I always use the example, my wife, Beth, who's also a clinical pharmacist, she says, uh, can you help me close this? I've got so much in it. I'm going to need you to, to push and help me close. So we get it closed. And then she says, hey, I forgot there's this one workout top and shorts that I want to take for that hike we're going to do in Italy. Can we open it up and put it in? I'm like, no, no more is going to fit in. There's no way. Like, it's going to bust. Can't do it. And that's what we're doing with our body. So insulin is, is putting the clothes in. It's putting the sugar into the cell. That's insulin's job. It opens the door and the sugar goes into the cell. And if we're doing things right, we will take that and make energy and burn it off. But if we're not, we keep pushing more and more in that suitcase, that cell. And so when you start to, and, and that creates massive amounts of insulin to be produced. And as we pack that cell more and more, it takes more and more insulin to open it, to unzip it. And so what happens is when we start to lower the insulin levels by teaching people 
the food, the supplements, the water, the movement, the sleep, their body will start to open up and release some of that overpacked sugar in those cells and some of those toxins that you talked about. And so in certain cases, I don't see it often, but I do see it sometimes, the person's sugar will actually go up before it will come down. And that can be discouraging. And that can be something that people worry about. And I am not a medical doctor. I'm a pharmacist. But I will tell you that the ACORD study shows that type 2 diabetics, this is, a, this is a summary of the ACORD study, the more aggressively a type 2 diabetic is treated, and by aggressively, they mean number of drugs and insulin shots, the sooner they die. So what really we understand now is that uncontrolled high blood sugar is not a good thing. It, it, it causes permanent end organ damage. That's what the studies say. Permanent end organ damage. Um, so we're damaging our heart. We're damaging our kidneys. We're damaging our eyes. We're damaging our liver, you know, our pancreas. We're, we're doing permanent with high blood sugar. But the ACORD study really shows us that the high insulin that creates the metaflammation along with the 398 side effects from each of those drugs is worse. That, that's what the ACORD study says is, hey, the more aggressively we treat a type 2 diabetic, the sooner they die. So we may control their A1C on a bunch of drugs and insulin, but they die quicker. Why? because all that metaflammation, right? From all the insulin that we're putting in and all the insulin that we're having their body produce. When if we do it the other way, we reduce the insulin by creating the right lifestyle parameters, lifestyle plan, the body will then have to work through and release some of that sugar. So in certain folks, I do see their sugars go up before they come down, but I keep telling them, stay the course, stay the course. And if you'll watch over time, you'll watch their sugar go down, you'll watch their insulin levels go down, then you'll watch them start to lose weight, you know, fat, I don't like to use the word weight. Use a little, start to lose fat that they can see, not just visceral fat, and then they, they go, oh man, I get this, I get it now. But it is a process and it can, for some people it can take longer than for others, and there's no way to predict that. But when we can combine the really high quality supplements, the really good water with the really good movement and sleep, and we fix their food, uh, it happens quicker than if we don't do all those things together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as a health coach, I always like to, my approach is food first. Let's get what your food is yep. first. Cause I feel like that, you know, once that second nature, which I feel like takes about, it's it takes about 30 days for like it to become kind of like, okay, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. You hold, you know, you do it for a full 90 days and that's just how you are yeah. now. Right. So we get that under control. And then by improving the food, then you, you know, the sleep gets better naturally. Mm -hmm. Right. And then they have the energy to, to even consider adding in more movement mm -hmm. and, you know, to address movement a little bit, we now know that just walking post meal can lower 
a glucose spike, two minutes. you know, two minutes. It, yeah, just two minutes can lower it significantly, Yep. you know, and ideally I think they said it was 10 to 15, no. but just two minutes. I think it's 15 to 20 minutes is up to 50% reduction in insulin production. Two minutes though can greatly reduce it. I don't know the number of percent, right. but I know the 15 to 20 minute, they say leisurely walk can reduce the insulin production up to 50% after a meal. That's huge. Which is just huge. Yeah. yeah. Huge. Like, so anywhere from two minutes to 20 minutes post meal, and you don't even have to walk fast. No, you don't no, have to power is... walk. You don't have to sweat. You can sit there and hold your, hold your spouse's hand and talk about your day. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's actually, if I'm all, I'm almost positive that the study said two miles an hour. So it's a 30 minute mile. It's, it's the pace they were walking at. So Which is I, I feel so like slow. I can do a 30 minute mile <laughs> backwards in the snow with no shoes on kind of thing. You know, not, not, not everybody can do that, but I'm like, that's walking really, really slow, you know, yeah. for most of us. Yeah. Which I think, I think is encouraging. Yes. Because there's a lot of people, especially if they're high into, you know, insulin resistance, like, they're, they're hurting, their joints hurt, yes. they're inflamed, yes. you know? So the fact that it can be slow, yes. they don't have to push themselves. They just have to, just have to walk and take their time and just do, you know, 15, 20 minutes or ju even just five. I don't care how long it is. As long as it's longer than two minutes, you're going to experience significant benefits. That's, that's what the research shows us now is that it, and that's why I've gotten away from so much the, the connotations for some people toward exercise are negative. But if you yeah. use movement and you say, hey, just go walk two minutes, that's a different kind of concept for those folks that don't yeah. have to exercise. So especially if they feel really busy. Yes. You know, like you can eat your lunch. You know, obviously we don't want you eating at your desk, but a lot of people do. So let's say you eat your lunch. Take two minutes to go to the bathroom on the on the first floor. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and, or, you know, take a walk around your office building or something, you know, and come back. That's one of the things that I really encourage in my classes is to teach people to set a timer on your phone, your watch, something. And every hour, get up and at least walk to the bathroom, whether you need to go or not. Walk to the bathroom and walk back. Because if you can, and there are studies that show you can greatly reduce the risk of death by walking every hour, by moving every hour. Just simple well, movement. It doesn't have to be exercise. Just get up and move. Yeah. Well, and then you have to think, then we're also giving your brain a break. So you're going to be more productive yeah. and have yeah. clearer thinking. If you go outside and you get some sunlight, that's going to yeah. set your, uh, you know, circadian rhythm first you're going to sleep better. Yeah. Like it's all these, like, it's so funny because it's like, yeah, it improves, in, you know, your insulin spike and your, or your insulin release, but it also impacts all these other things yes. that we struggle with, with our health in such a positive way. It's just really, it cool. really does. like nothing works in isolation. No, it doesn't. And, and, and I get it because, and, and I, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, longer explanation, but I know why people who are insulin resistant are so tired and it, it's pretty easy to explain, but, but when you give them the nutrients back, the, like my foundational four, they go, wow, now I feel like walking two minutes after a meal, after work, I feel like getting up from my desk, you know? And so, um, 
they really are producing though 19 times less energy than than the folks who aren't insulin resistant so they're literally producing 19 times less energy and so you you it's not hard to figure out why they say when i get home from work i just gotta lay down i don't care about anything i can't you know i can't play with the kids i can't walk the dog i can't you know i gotta just rest and I get yeah. it because I understand the physiology of what's going on in their body and they're not making energy efficiently. So it really does feel like an uphill battle, it does. right? It does. You know, which is why food and supplements are just so important yeah. because you get those and then you have the energy. Then you start to create more energy again. Yeah. Because you, I mean, I tell everybody, I literally feel 18 every day. And, and I don't say that just to say it. I literally feel 18 every day. If I didn't, I don't know what it would be like, right? I've always felt 18 every day. So I'm, I'm like, I try to think of where they are and how can I help them start to move that needle. And, and we we're pretty dang successful with it. Um, yeah. By doing those five foundations. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, this has been a fantastic discussion. Is there anything else you want to address and let people just know about insulin resistance? Well, PCOS, I mean, PCOS is insulin resistance. That's what it is. That is the definition really. And what happens just quickly in PCOS is you have insulin, which is a growth hormone. And then you have estrogen, which is a growth hormone. And they're both high in PCOS, which is the reason for a lot of the symptoms they have of typically excess bleeding and, you know, frequent bleeding and things. But you have, you have to fix the insulin resistance. And then the PCOS will fix itself. So I just thought that was, you, you know, you had mentioned it earlier, but PCOS is, is essentially insulin resistance that creates other hormones to be out of balance. Um, so it's not, again, it's not, it's not really difficult to fix once somebody understands how to fix it. But what concerns me for so many women is they're being, um, they can be prescribed birth control pills, which can temporarily make things feel better, but it's really making things worse in the long run. Um, they can be prescribed ablations, which is burning off the uterine lining, which I can't imagine is very comfortable, uh, or necessary in most cases, if you do the right things, or then they're told they need a hysterectomy. Uh, and, yeah. and, and I would say step back, get some advice from somebody like one of us, because 99% of the time you, you don't have to go to those extremes. Yeah, I have, you know, friends that deal with PCOS and a lot of clients that that deal with it. And when we can get the diet and supplements and lifestyle good, they don't have like their markers go away. They don't it's in remission, yeah. quote unquote. Yeah, I do a lot of PCOS. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's pretty prevalent. The insulin resistance that goes with it, you know, it's almost people look at it as secondary when really that should be primary like let's let's focus on that yes yeah, the root cause so i would encourage everybody to to make sure that they understand why i believe insulin is the most important blood marker they can have 
and I and they will get pushback from their medical providers about it. But there are people like me who have our own I created my own blood panel. You can get it. It's really not that expensive. You need to know your insulin number. Yeah, everybody should know their insulin number before they know any other number. I mean, your cholesterol is worthless to know. It really means nothing. <laughs> but everybody knows it and every doctor's testing it. Talking about cholesterol, when I when I see elevated cholesterol and all of that, I'm always like, uh, let's let's address your sugar and inflammation first. Like and see what your cholesterol does. Yes. You know, yes. and people yes. kind of, you know, luckily people trust me, right? And I'm like, let's just try it. Let's see what happens before we try a, a cholesterol lowering diet. Let's just get you eating real food that's minimally processed and let, let's get you your sleep and your exercise and all of that. Because a lot of times elevated cholesterol is usually inflammation driven and insulin driven. And so if we can do that, their cholesterol goes down every single time, whether they were trying or not. Yeah. Well, and you got to remember cholesterol is a master. It's a huge antioxidant in the body. So when the, the sicker you are, of course, the body's trying to make more antioxidants. So as you start to improve their inflammation and their insulin, typically, yeah, that's what we see is the, is the cholesterol numbers will improve because it's now not having to make all this stuff to try to correct. I love that you brought up that it's an antioxidant. It's also fuel and it also cleans things up. And so it makes sense. It always, it does. It makes sense when it's elevated, when you have all this stuff yeah. going on. It's a signal. It's a, it's a signal from your body saying, Hey, something may be out of balance here. Let's, let's see what that is. It's not, I can promise you it's not a Lipitor or Crestor deficiency. I can tell you that for sure. Well, and those drugs, <laughs> those drugs make insulin resistant worse. That's correct. They do increase the risk of diabetes by... Uh, 20 some odd percent females. It's like, which is huge. Yeah. Yeah. But, but unfortunately it goes back to the standard of care. A type two diabetic is supposed to be put on a statin drug. And if the doctor doesn't do that, the doctor will get dinged by the insurance on every patient they see by that particular insurance, because that person is not on a statin drug. So it's a system that's broken. Yeah. Unfortunately, insurance care within insurance means the doctor has to treat towards the insurance, not the patient. Correct. Correct. That's why when you see it, a practitioner outside of the insurance-based system, you're going to get a completely different approach, whether they're an MD, an ND, uh, you know, uh, func you know, trained, like the, the approach is just different because they can treat the patient. And we right. all know that diet and nutrition and lifestyle all impact that. So if we can try that first, yes, we're going to be in much better shape. Well, I'll tell you, we, we opened a direct primary care clinic in our pharmacy and we have a nurse practitioner. And, and what I explain to people is it's really turning the entire health care system upside down because the healthcare system, the traditional healthcare system is based on making more money if you're sick. I mean, the more you have to come and the more tests they run and the more drugs you're on, the more money the system and everybody in the system makes. But with our direct primary care system, we want them to be well. We don't want to have to see them very often. Right. There's more money to be made with less work or the same amount of money to be made 
with less work if they're healthy versus sick. So it is completely turning it upside down and saying, let's get these people healthy so they don't need us every three months. Yeah. <laughs> let's teach them how to be well. And then we see them once or twice a year and we don't have to see them all the time. So it's, it's really, you know, it, it's really, really disheartening what our system has become. And that's why we need to, that's why I think what you're doing is so important. And hopefully what I'm doing is so important is trying to teach people how not to be a, what I'll call a victim of that system. Absolutely. No, I, you know, and it takes, it takes a, it's, it's a team, like just like the medical community is a team. It takes a team on the, the natural health community and, you know, the alter alternative um, yeah. medicine community is taking all of us. The doctors that I, I typically have been like in their office with, we always joke about a pyramid, right? And how the um, allopathic community is an upside down pyramid yeah. because you start by paying very little, you go to your primary and then the sicker you get, the more your cost is. I have people that come to me that are spending, you know, $500 a month in pharmaceuticals, Yeah. you know, and then they like bulk at like, yeah, you have to do an upfront investment. You have to get the labs done. You have to get the supplements. You have to invest in your health, but then we work ourselves out of a job. And a lot of times it's that annual wellness exam. You know, we make sure your blood, you know, all your markers are still good. Maybe you're sick and you need an IV or some hydrotherapy or a little extra supplements, you know, to support the immune system, you know, things like that. But for the most part, we always joke about working ourselves out of a job and we want to. Yeah. I agree. And, and that's, you know, I've, I've, one of the biggest things that I got over the years was these people would come through my weekend program and they would go, man, we learned so much those two days, but now like we need support. So I started just a, an online, I call it CEO membership where we, I do a weekly video. We do a once a month live zoom question and answer just because people want to keep hearing from you and they want to stay in touch and they want to continue to learn and they want to be held accountable. Yeah. So that's really worked well is to, is to, is to make sure that once we, like you said, kind of work ourselves out of that job, but a way to keep these people accountable. Accountable and supported because there's still so much to learn and there's still so much noise out there. You know, there's yeah. all these experts that are saying you, you can't eat this. You can't eat this. Don't eat that, right. you know, and, and you just get overwhelmed with the noise because we want to be our, our healthiest versions. And when it's, oh, there was this new study or there's this new diet or there's this new way of training or, you know, there's this new focus. Like right now it's uh, metabolically healthy, right? Everybody's, you know, metabolic right now. And so there's like different areas of focus and being able to have people that you, you trust to give you the real deal. And they're not just trying to like be popular or something, but just want, are there for you to advocate for you and help right. you understand the science that's coming out because nutrition science is in its infancy, truly, you know, and we're learning stuff all the time, but even with all this new stuff, the foundations don't change. And, I, and that's right. And, and, and that's what I try to tell people is I try to learn something new to teach you every single day. Yeah. Every single day there's new information coming out, which is, which is what for me as a, as an adjunct professor at a pharmacy school is so discouraging is when I taught the first semester, when I taught my diabetes class and they know this is an alternative to their teaching. Uh, I got called into the principal's office, not really the principal's office, but the, the head of the uh, chair of the board of the science committee's office, I believe was the title. And I was told that I couldn't teach against settled science. And I was like, 
what is settled science? I, I thought we were always trying to learn more. And they're like, no, it's settled. Type 2 diabetic needs insulin. That's not settled at all. <laughs> no, that's not right. So that's what we're up against, though, is that the, the machine that controls the drugs and the machine that controls the education says this is the way you do it and you don't venture from it. Um, Even though there's there's science coming out all the time that says different. Yes. Yeah. So it's, a, it's an uphill battle and we can just help the ones that are willing to listen. That, that's what I try to tell people is like, I wish we could help everybody, but not everybody is willing to. To do to, the work. To, it is work. It doesn't have to be hard, but it change is always change is always diff, difficult. It's yes. always difficult. It's not hard, but change is always difficult. And you know, my approach is like, let's do one step at a time, Yeah. you know, and what's going to make the biggest impact. And for me and in, in my approach and with my clients, it's the food, yeah. you know, let, let's do that first and then we can move on from there. And, yeah. um, you know, I work with really sick people. Typically I love when it's, um, just the, the ones that are on the path and not, are not there yet, but I work with a lot of people that are dealing with chronic conditions that have been sick for many, many years, but it's like, let's just do the food. And then we can go from there, right? you know, and what from there looks like can vary person to person, but the foundations don't change. So it's, you know, what, what can we do to help you feel better so that we can do the other things? I agree. I, and that's, it's really important. And you're right. The, the change is always hard. I agree. People, they make it hard in their mind. It's hard, but the changes we ask people to make are typically really not hard. Right just the mindset that it's going to be hard that I'm going to have and changing, you know, changing habits and changing the way that you meal plan and grocery yeah. shop and cook yep. and reheat. And, you know, it doesn't take more time, yeah. but it takes a little bit more mental energy yep. in the beginning. And that's, what's hard. It's like remembering to take the supplements takes mental energy. It's changing your habits. You're, you're literally disrupting what you've been doing thoughtlessly. And you have to remember to take your supplements. And for some people that's easy. And for some people that's really difficult right. and that's okay. You know, but it's like changing habits. Like we recognize that changing change is hard, whether it's a good change or a bad right. change, change is hard. But if you make the effort to make the good change, everything else gets easier. It does. And, and you, I think you alluded to this earlier. Once you make the change for, let's say 60 or 90 days, that becomes your new norm. And it's not hard anymore. It's harder not to take the supplements then. It's harder not to prepare the food then. So it's just a matter of a process of trying to, to get to that point where it's your new norm. It's your and, and that's and that's where the coaching and the support yes. and the programs are just so beneficial because there is that accountability and there is that okay, if you're struggling with this, let's tease this apart. What can we do to make it easier, right? Just having that outside person. Also, I find a lot of times it's just me giving people permission. Yes. Yeah, do that. That's great. Yeah. And you're like, are you sure? And it's like, yeah, no, do that. And just the value of having somebody come alongside you cannot be under, you know, underestimated. Yes, it costs some money, but you're paying for knowledge and support and guidance and permission. One of the things that I found over the years that, that we would do when we would do our coaching post weekend, a lot of people would pay for, for coaching after that, was that they would somewhere before the next coaching session make a mistake or what they deemed a mistake off our plan. 
And I always told them, look, it's okay to make a mistake. We're all going to make mistakes. I make mistakes. But the important part is if you jump off the track, you just jump right back on. Forget that mistake and let's learn from it and let's move back. But some people will get so discouraged that they'll just, they'll stay off the track, right? Right. Oh, I felt, you know, fell off the wagon. Might as well live here. Right. And it's like, why would right. you do that? You don't get a flat tire and then slash the other three. <laughs> right. You replace the tire and keep going. So so that's kind of what and my experience is to encourage people. If, if you if you mess up and you do something, you go, I know I shouldn't have done that. That's okay. Just the important part is to get back on the track, get back on your plan. Not that you made yeah. the mistake. So I think that's that's a that's one of the things that we have found in our years of doing the Opti program that is so easy for people, like you said, to, to get off and go, well, let's just stay here. Well, let's let's learn from that and let's move back. Yeah. Or, you know, who cares if you had dessert? Right. Like, like, yum. Okay, let's just go back and have a really solid breakfast or a really solid dinner or whatever. Well, or, or if you did have the dessert, let's go out for the walk. Exactly. Like, let's at least let's minimize the damage from that. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I always tell people perfection's not required, but consistency is, you know, yes. and if, you know, my thing about dessert, just because we're talking about it, is like there are so many delicious desserts that nourish your body without damaging it. And yes. but there are there may be times there might be a birthday party, there might be a celebration where if you want to have that gluten-free, dairy-free birthday cake full of sugar, then eat it and enjoy every bite and then go right back to eating normally. That's that's what I encourage people to do. Don't be that you can't go enjoy your kid's birthday or your husband or wife's birthday anniversary, or whatever. whatever. Do it. Just get back on track. Yeah. Go back to your norm after that. Yeah. that I agree a hundred percent. And I think doing those things sometime is very beneficial actually to, to just, it's just mentally satisfying sometimes to say, Hey, yeah, I had the, I had the cake. I had the pie. I had the whatever. It was delicious. <laughs> It was great. I enjoyed it. But now I'm going to go back to my plan. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, again, talking about food, because it's my favorite subject. I always think about like Thanksgiving and how people just like go off the rails. But I have to say, like over the years, our Thanksgiving meal is so healthy and nourishing and nutrient dense and delicious. Our neighbors love coming to our Thanksgiving and they're not healthy. Yeah. You know, they're not nearly at the level we are, <laughs> but they love coming because the food is so good. But we right. still have dessert, but we have dessert and then we go right back to eating normal. Like right. the leftovers are delicious, right? And But they're all good for you. And it's like you can live your life, but it's like when your norm is healthy, having a slice of pie on Thanksgiving is fine. But if you're not, you're, you're not eating Halloween candy from, you know, Halloween to Thanksgiving and you're not having dessert from Thanksgiving to Christmas and you're not having alcohol from Christmas to New Year's, you know, you have your day maybe two where you have a piece of pie or whatever, but then your norm. And so I find, okay, talking about mother's day, like we had gluten-free dairy-free brownies that were delicious. I was sick to my stomach and I felt like crap all day yesterday, you know? And, and that's what, that, that's a great point because I hear it from a lot of people that go, all right, you gave me permission after 12 weeks to go out and have whatever I wanted. 
one time, one meal. And they'll go, I felt like crap after that. And I'm like, yeah, your body will signal to you, hey, you've been giving me good stuff, and now you're putting this back in. And a lot of times that'll turn them off <laughs> from wanting to do that. So that's, you said it, you yep. know, I felt like crap after that. And they go, I'm starting to learn here. Yeah, and it's like, you get to the point where you intentionally make the decision that I'm going to enjoy this and I know I'm going to feel like crap, but then you do the things that you know are going to help you feel less like crap, right? Yeah. And that's the point I think I, I love when people get to is when they're intentional about their choices. Yeah. Like they're intentional about I'm going to enjoy dessert and I'm going to get exactly what I want. It's going to taste amazing. And I also know that I'm probably going to feel like crap for a day or two, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's intentional and they enjoy every single bite. And that relationship with food is healthy. Right. Like yeah, they I love agree. nourishing their bodies, but they also love those moments when they can indulge yeah. with intention. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, one of the things that I really try to emphasize to people is if you like to exercise and you can incorporate that into your routine and you can start to build more muscle, you can get away. I don't like to use that term, but you can have more of the brownies and have less of the I feel like crap effect the more muscle you carry because the glycogen will be taken up in the muscles. The sugar will be taken up in the muscles and you won't get all the ill effects. It doesn't mean that it's healthy. It just means that it's less likely to create the havoc in our bodies if we're carrying more muscle. Yep. I'm right there with you. All right. This has been such a great conversation. So full of great information. Is there anything else before we end? No, I would just encourage everybody to, to, to try to be good CEOs of their own health and find somebody like yourself or myself who can guide them and help them in the direction, make sure they have the right data in front of them, the right test and have a plan, a plan to move forward and improve from, I tell everybody, I don't care where you're starting from. We can help you improve. Um, so everybody should be encouraged to. It's never too to, late. Never too late. Never. Right. Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much for being on the podcast and I look forward to when you come back. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. If you found this episode helpful, would you do me a favor and help others find it by leaving a review, sharing a screenshot on social media, or sharing the link with a friend? By you sharing what you've learned, others are able to find this podcast and join our community. Be sure to check out my website, www.roadtolivingwhole.com for over 160 delicious recipes, a variety of meal plans, and a blog packed full of even more healthy living tips. If you'd like to learn more about how to work with me as your coach, you can schedule a free consult through www.roadtolivingwhole.com backslash health-coaching backslash. Until next time, friend. Bye.